1001 Books, the podcast where we read the 1001 books they say you're supposed to read before you die and decide if they're really worth your time. I'm Nicole, a lover of Harry Potter and historical fiction. And I'm Chelsea, and I am always down for a book that's going to make me cry. All right, before we get into our book from the list for this week, what else have you been reading lately? Well, I have spent some time reading some fluff the last (laughs) week. uh, I have read... The book Royal Date by Soraya Wilson, and it's in the Royals of Montera series. Um, and essentially, I just have a deep down love for normal girl gets turned into a princess fiction. It's, I blame the Princess Diaries. Yeah, I uh, love those Princess Diaries books. <laughs> and so I just, I, this book was terrible. I gave it two out of five stars. Had very few merits, but I still enjoyed it. (laughs) Like, it's one of those books that as you're reading it, you know, this is objectively bad. Yeah. But I'm still going to read it. And the problem is, I've read all the good princess books. So now I've got to scrape the barrel with the bad ones when I have a craving. Um, So, of course, I then picked up the second book in the series, which was actually slightly better. What happens then? Does she become a princess again? Well, of <laughs> course, in all these author series, you have to go down through the line of the siblings. So the first oh. one is the oldest one who's going to become the king and oh. the girl fall in love. And then the second brother falls in love with the girl from the first book's best yeah. friend. But they get trapped on some sort of like bachelor-esque reality show because that's something <laughs> princes are allowed to do. Um, but don't worry. He's not really dating all the other girls because he's a twin. He's only dating her (laughs) and his twin is dating the other girls. Oh my gosh, that's the best thing I've ever heard. And the third book is going to be about the twin and the other girl. So um, obviously it was real quality, but I just, there's just something to be said for like fluff. No, sometimes that's what you need in your reading life to like balance out the like heavy or hard books that you're reading. Yeah. Um, also, I mean, I don't feel like I, I read some books like that, but not a lot. But definitely the like that trope of like becoming a princess is very much a part of my like I'm falling asleep and I'm daydreaming life. Yeah, for sure. And it's just it's completely ridiculous. It's totally yeah. embarrassing, but it's it's just for me and nobody has to know. <laughs> and I just I just really enjoy it. And so, yeah. I mean, it is what it is. I really loved <clears throat> We'll get to it in a minute, but I liked our book from this week a lot. And so it wasn't, I didn't feel like I was reading fluff because I couldn't handle this week's book. It was just, I was on a whim. I was on a princess kick. Yeah. So did you read those books when we were kids that they were like, it was like a series and they were hardbacks and they had ribbon bookmarks built in and they were like about different princesses, real princesses, but they were written as their diaries. Oh yeah. There there weren't just ones about princesses. There were other ones too, like a girl going across on the Oregon trail and stuff. There was someone who was on the Titanic. I was all about that. Books that, books when I was a kid that had built-in ribbon bookmarks were like the shit they're so great those diary books were like the first step up after american girl books yes like you read american girl books and you kind of liked historical fiction so you read those diary books that's true i never read any american girl books when i was a kid i I did have a doll but i didn't read any of the books i read almost i read all of molly and all of samantha Wow, there's more than one for each. Of course, there is. There's a series. <laughs> because they have to sell a lot of books. Yeah. So, what are you reading? This um. Week? So, I listened to a book on audiobook, which is the Woo-hoo! first one I listened to in a long time. But I've been feeling inspired to do it because you listen to books on audiobook, mm-hmm. and all the podcasts that I regularly listen to, I've officially like caught up. I've listened to their backlog, and I rather than adding another podcast. I was just like, oh, I want to get something different. And then I, re- I had knew that I could get, get the library ones on an app, you know, on my phone. And so I listened to Everything, Everything by Nicola Yoon. I think that's how you say her last name. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's in 
been made into a movie, which I have not seen. But the book was really good, and I it was also fluff. It was definitely it yeah. was chick lick. Chick lit, unapologetically so. Did you see the twist coming? I've read this. I totally didn't see it coming. I thought, yeah, I thought it was going to have a sad ending. I thought so too. There was a, there's a big twist in that book that usually in YA I can see twists coming a mile off. And I'm not saying this was like the greatest twist in the history of the world, but it was an unexpected twist. Yeah. And I, and I was, once it came, I was just like, oh, I can't believe I didn't see it coming because it felt like it should have been like, obviously that's what I would have guessed. But it was just, it was really fun to listen to. The audio book was a bit weird because some of the book is written in like IMs, like texts. Mm -hmm. And in those parts they had, if the the narrator, the whole narrator for the whole book was female. And then they had a male reading the boy's part in the texting. But then when the boy talked in the like prose, it was the girl doing a male voice. And that was weird because then he had two voices in the audio book. Um, and she wasn't great at doing the male voice, <laughs> um, but I still really liked it. Yeah. So, and then, yeah, other than that, I pretty much just read our book for this week. Well, since we're moving that way, our book for this week was Alias Grace by Margaret Atwood, and it was released in 1996. It's 464, 65 60. pages long, um, if you include the little bit of information about the actual person alias grace who we'll talk about our grace <laughs> marks yeah. her name's not alias grace who we'll talk about in a little bit but uh yeah so a well-known author a relatively well-known book it was just made into a netflix series yes and um, one of the more recent books that we've read published yes. very recently yeah, yeah I, well i mean 20 years ago but like more recent than some of the other things we've read i mean we grew up in the 90s. I still feel like the 90s are recent. Yeah. Every year I'm just like, 1996, that 10 years ago. I always feel like 10 years ago. No, yeah. if it's 20, yeah. it's fine. Yeah, 22 uh, years. <laughs> well, what is your one word description for this book? Uh, my one word is feminist. What's yours? Engaging. Engaging. Okay. Yeah. Um, would you want to tell us what a one sentence quick plot summary is? Yeah. So in this book, Grace Marks is committed of a murder. And convicted of murder. Convicted of a murder. Yeah, not convicted that she did commit a murder. (laughs) There we go. So let's restart. Grace Marks is convicted of a murder, but it's not clear whether she did it or not. Or not. Okay. So from this point forward, we're going to get into the meat of this book. So count this as your spoiler alert. Um, But at the end, we'll talk about other things outside of the book. So come back and we'll put the timings for that in the show notes. Perfect. All right. So this book. Oh my gosh. I this is the first book on the list. I'm just going to start out with it that I truly loved. Yes. Like it was easy to read, it was fun, it was engaging and I was like immediately like in love with it and was like Margaret Atwood is a goddess. Like <laughs> this is so good. I, this is the second Margaret Atwood book I've ever read and I Me loved too. the first one. Mm-hmm. And then I loved this one. And now I just want to go read all her books. And she's written a lot of books. I know. She's written a lot. Way more than I thought looking at the inside I kind of want to go through and just figure out which ones are on the list and not read those ones, but read everything else. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's this one and Handmaid's Tale and... Um, Blind Assassin, maybe? Or Cat's Cradle. Oh. It's either Blind Assassin or Cat's Cradle that's on the, that's yeah. on or, the list. Or it works in Cake, maybe, too. I don't think that one. Okay. Yeah. So I, I love her. Yeah. I just, there's just something, I really like young adult literature because it's easy to read, right? And it, it usually, I can connect with it really well and I can flow with it and I don't have to focus on it too much. Like it's not mm-hmm. a work. Um, and in order for me to like adult literature, 
like unabashedly I have to connect to that author and the way they write really well and I think she's one of those authors that I do mm-hmm. um there's a handful of others that I really connect with but she's one of the own one of the other ones that I just like I I'm a Margaret Atwood fangirl yeah yeah for sure yeah <laughs> like to the point where I was like I should write her a letter after I finished this I book, which I've never done her. in my life yeah um, and also, so this is out of this is the 11th book we've read from the list, and it's only the third one by a woman. One of those other ones was a memoir, so it's not fiction, kind mm-hmm. of separate. And one was Life of, is a Caravan Sarai, which from Turkey, which we had other barriers to yes. really connecting with cultural ones that was hard for us to follow. But this book, I was just like, it's so important. To, representation is so important. It's yes. so important to have women writing women because the women in this book, Grace Marks, the main character, and the other side characters have so much more depth depth, mm-hmm. and are so much more real than any character in any other book we've read so far. And... <laughs> For any woman, any female character. And because a woman was writing it, there is instances of sexism from the time period, but it was handled in yes. a way that I don't think <laughs> male authors can frequently access. No. And <laughs> the, yeah, and I, I was listening to a podcast and they were talking about screenwriting and how the best thing a man can do to write a interesting female character is just to write a male character and then change the name at the end uh-huh. to a woman so that they give the character as much depth as they would a male character. But it's like, and it's like that's good and people should practice that more or same thing like change changing gender, changing yeah. sexuality, changing gender like you know like yeah. anything like that they should they should do it but this is just like oh it's so nice that she already knows that women have depth in internal lives you know <laughs> and you don't have to like yeah. hope that's gonna happen yeah I really enjoyed this book I think before we because a lot of my thoughts on this book are tied to the plot so before we go a little oh, bit yes, deeper I kind of want to walk through the plot more fully so this story picks up 16 years I think it's in the year in the teens yeah. after some murders have taken place. And so essentially this woman, Grace Marks, is speaking to a doctor, Jordan, and kind of recounting what she thinks happened, like her her version of events leading up to these murders that she has been convicted of committing. Yes, and it's it's in the 1850s. Yes. That's important. And so um, it starts out with her talking about her Family life was really bad. <laughs> Sorry, there was a giggle there. This is the first time we're recording the podcast with letting um, my kitten be in the room with us because she's usually very distracting and she just carted off a Barnes and Noble gift card to <laughs> God knows where. I just love that that in your house that's just lying around like so typical. <laughs> so, um, anyways, <laughs> back on topic. So, um, as we go through, we see Grace Marks and how she got to Canada because this book is based in Canada. Um, through on a ship and how her mom died on the journey and how her dad's really abusive. And it's kind of giving us some backstory into how she became who she is. And then she ends up being a maid and she starts out as a maid at one house where she has a best friend who ends up dying due to a botched abortion. Um, and then she over a period of time ends up at this house that she is only there for about a month. And it's where the people in the story were murdered. And so uh, let me deal with the kitten while you take it from here on the plot. Um, And so she's there in the month serving and there's the man who owns the estate and then his housekeeper, but who's also his mistress. And then and then a like another servant who like works with the horses, a guy named McDermott. And then they um, 
the the housekeeper and the man are murdered and Grace um, and McDermott are accused of their murder and McDermott is hanged. But Grace, because she's only 16, is like given life in prison instead. And so now she's been in prison for a long time and lots of people are interested in hearing her story. And is she, is she mad? Did she do it? Did she mm-hmm. not do it? There's a group of people trying to get her off because they think that there's no way that she could have done it because she seems so sane now. Uh, and so then the whole book is her recounting the story and this guy, Simon, the doctor, is trying to figure out if she really did it and if she is insane. Um, and and it's important to note that this this book is Margaret Atwood's interpretation of real-life murders mm-hmm. that happened in the 1840s in Canada. And Grace Which Marks is a real person. So much um, creepier. Yeah, is a real person who uh, who did go to jail. and uh, But not much is really known about her, like who she really was. And so this is like her fictionalized life and grace marks in real life was pardoned and mm-hmm. just disappeared off the face of the earth like nobody knows yeah, what pardoned happened. after about like 35 years yeah. in prison um which is what happens in the fictional events as well and so it was interesting too because in this book at the start of each like section there'd be a series of quotes and a lot of them were from a poem narrative that someone wrote about Grace Marks in the trial back in the 1800s. Is yeah. That was really cool. There was a lot of cool different kinds of writing. There was prose, there was letters, there mm-hmm. was po- um, the kind of the background at the very beginning is given in a poem that Margaret Atwood wrote. The, I th- at least it seemed like that. Um, and so I really like that, that she mixed up the styles. Well, and she even within mm-hmm. just normal um writing is she did something that I it took me a while to notice but something was bugging me about the sections that were told by Grace so the book alternates Simon who's the doctor mm-hmm. Simon Jordan I called them Jordan earlier Dr. Jordan Simon Jordan um who's the doctor and Grace and the sections that Grace is narrating don't have any quotations for when people oh, are speaking but I didn't all so. the sections that Simon is narrating have it and it just was bugging me because I kept reading Grace's person I'm like why is it harder for me to follow when she's speaking like it wasn't hard but it just was different and I realized it's because there's no no speech division so paragraphs don't end when there's a character changing speech um there's no quotation marks or anything whereas the doctors Mm. all has that and so I was like even in your like normal writing you're stylizing Right. It's, yeah. It's, it's a like, very tangible way to give them a different voices to yeah. show that they have different voices. I thought voices. that was really interesting. Yeah, that is cool. I didn't really pay attention to that, but you're totally. Yeah. yeah it took me a couple. It took me a couple hundred pages <laughs> to realize what was bugging me. But yes. Yeah. So yeah. So that's overall on the plot. Um, let's see. Well, I before we get into further, there was two words in this book that I did not know the definition to and could not come up with them like mm-hmm. from the context. So you can tell me if you know what they mean. Um. He was, however, pers- perspicacious enough to discover one pertinent fact, namely that as a lunatic, Grace Marks was a sham. Uh, perspicacious. Like observ- observant enough? I would assume. I haven't looked at that it. That makes me think <laughs> like a, like Sherlock Holmes type observant. Yes. And then the other one was, he feels as if he's just come from an abattoir. A-B-A-T-T-O-I-R. I've heard that word Why before. Why was this the kind of death affected him so strongly? I had heard that word before. Yeah. and It's it, got to be something about like being a dark story because it's the, great, the greatest story that is dark. He feels he's just come from an abattoir. Why has this account of a death affected him so strongly? Because an abattoir in a book I've read before was like the evil demon was like its name. Oh. An abattoir is a slaughterhouse. Oh. 
That makes sense. That makes sense why it'd be a demon in a character. Yeah. Got it. All right. Mm-hmm. And that's when Grace is telling him, or like he's reading about the like bloody aftermath of the murders. Yeah. So that makes sense. <laughs> all right. So, all right. So what was something else that you found really pressing when you were reading this book that you wanted to talk about? Uh, so at the beginning, all the like book tab things I putting in were all, uh, I found it so, they're all kind of on the same issue, which is that Simon is like, he's a man of his time, you know, and I was, and he's trying to analyze the psychology of Grace Marks mm-hmm. with the tools that he would have had on hand in the 1850s, not very many tools, you know, and uh-huh. because it's his lifelong dream to create like a humane lunatic asylum. <laughs> That's why he's interviewing yeah. her. And, but then, and so he's like trying to understand, like, but I just made me think about how even now I've read lots of articles about how women don't get good mental health care because mm-hmm. they're misdiagnosed or misunderstood um, by the mental health system and by male doctors. And, and it was just like, that's exactly what's happening in this book. And it's still happening to women. Um, and which I was just like, oh, that's like very frustrating. But it, seeing it play out between them where he was just like, oh, I'm going to like bring a turnip to when mm-hmm. we talk so that she thinks about being underground when they put the bodies in the cellar and see if it comes up. And it's just like, and she's just like, um, they're good with butter roasted, yeah. <laughs> you know, and just like, come on, man, work at it. And then on top of that, that he there's also lots of instances where he's kind of talking about how he thinks about women in general, that they are like the weaker sex and that they're um, they're like brains and psychology are, aren't as strong and they're more likely to be hysterics and like just things that people believe, yeah. believe back then by course. But it just made me think a lot about how like the patriarchy that was op- oppressing women was also hurting men because mm-hmm. he couldn't see women's value. And he talks a lot about how his mom's trying to get him to marry someone back home and how to marry, you know, that she's just like a foolish girl and that he, it'd be good because he could mold her and, and just like, but that he can't stand that pressure. And it's just like, it's not good for him either that he has all this pressure on him to well, be the only And it was interesting and, too, because yeah. there were points in time where you could tell he was kind of progressive for his age. Like there was a lot of talk about prostitution in this book. Um, Kind of as, like, how women are perceived. But he'd, like, go through these narrations um, where he'd say, like, no, I I think it's a thing of desperation for money. And these women just really need the money. They're not – we're saying they're these evil people. But it's just that they're they're going to die if they don't do it. And there's one section where he says that a woman who chooses prostitution rather than just throwing herself off the bridge is actually the braver, better person. But then in the context of that meeting, he basically gets shut down and he has to stop talking about it. Mm -hmm. And so it was really interesting because – He's such a symptom of the time. Yeah. But then I also found him unlikable because of it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I really, I liked, I didn't like him, but I liked his character. Yeah. And yeah, also at the end when he feels like what he, he comes to his conclusion about that Grace didn't do it. And then there's like a hypnotizer there and she gets hypnotized and then, another voice talks out of her mouth and 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 like explains in detail how she did it and then like they come to the conclusion that she has a split personality mm-hmm. uh, or perhaps a more religious spiritual read that the ghost of her dead friend yeah. is is um is like inhabiting her and and that she's the one who killed him yeah. and stuff which um which makes sense that's how you interpret something like that yeah but then but he's like mad that he's like he didn't reached the conclusion he wanted he didn't get the information he wanted out of her and so he's just like constantly blaming like 
Grace, his landlady, that character for like his own failings, you know? And he kind of like spirals. Like there's a quick scene, it's not very long, where he's like envisioning like murdering his landlady and the Mm -hmm. maid. To get out of a relationship with her. Yeah. Yeah. That he like, and the whole time this relationship, like he hasn't really wanted to be in it and doesn't really seem like she wants to be in it. It's a weird. Yeah. And I think it's really interesting. So after everything happens with Grace, he like flees basically he flees the relationship that he was in with his landlady he free flees that he can't write the report about grace that he was supposed to write uh-huh. and then the U- the american civil war starts and he goes to fight nick because he's an american and he gets a head injury and he forgets everything except for his like childhood memories and then he's like being taken care of by his mother and the woman she was trying to get him to marry uh and so i just and he keeps calling the woman she was trying to get him marry grace, grace. yeah it's so creepy and i think it's I just think it's pretty funny that that's how Margaret Atwood was just like, yeah, he thinks he's very full of himself. He thinks he has everything going for him, but we're just going to like shut that down right away, you know? And then he becomes like a person who would have been a patient in the Mm -hmm. asylum that That he he wanted to own. It's kind of an irony. Yeah. Mm. Uh, Yeah. I thought that was really interesting. I also, so when Grace in this story gets her pardon at the end, um, you kind of she's kind of talking as if she's talking to um, Simon, Simon Jordan still, mm-hmm. still, but it's just like a little snippet. And basically, she gets free. She gets to the Americas, which is where she was trying to escape to right when it happened. And she runs into um, a man who was a little boy on the farm where the murders happened, um, a neighbor, and they get married. And at the end, she suspects she's pregnant with his child. And it was really interesting to me because um, the whole time a thread through the story is that Mary Whitney, the friend of hers who died from the botched abortion, um, had told her, like, you're going to marry someone who starts with a J after you've crossed the river three times. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she, after the murders fled into the U.S., that was river crossing number one, fled, got taken back to Canada, river crossing number two got escaped and was back in the u.s and she married the man with the j which was jamie and i almost because i'm not i don't think grace is a reliable narrator (laughs) right which is something we can get into in a minute i was like is this really what happened or is this oh another well i know that in real life the story the truth is that grace when she was released she was taken to a house in new york um to, and given into the care of someone and we don't know who, who it was and then she just disappears off the face of the earth yeah. and so this is the story made up around that and I didn't even think that th- this might not be true I think that it is I, I just assume that it was true but because here's the thing is that as an un- obviously she's an unreliable narrator because but if it's true that she has a split personality when she's grace she's sane mm-hmm. and so all I so I was just like I want to believe all of her recollections, you know, except for when she has gaps in memory, which is when the other personality, Mary, mm-hmm. <laughs> comes out, and but then like all of her recollections around like re- leading up to the murder and stuff, they're very vague and gray and like hard to follow and kind of covered in like mist. I would uh-huh, say in her yeah. mind, um, but I just I. I was like, I was probably three quarters of the way through the book where I was like, oh yeah, I guess she's an unreliable narrator because I wanted to believe her. I, well, I liked her and I wanted her to be okay. That and was I, the, the thing, whole time. I wanted yeah. to believe her too, but can you? I don't yeah, know. I don't know. I so like I I just ended being like, I'm not sure. Like I don't know. 
if I believe, I believe anything really from her narration. Yeah. And so, and like, she seemed, there's points in the narrative where she seems smart enough that she could create a situation where she's playing everyone. Yeah, she could, she, yeah, the whole time she could be playing. The thing is, it's like, is she really have a split personality or is she just putting it on to, in order to get the pardon? Yeah. And you don't ever really know. No. Uh, or if she really did the mur- committed the murders or other personality, if it was an, or if it was the man who was hanged and not her, and yeah. she had no involvement, you never really know. It's, well, it's and, not explicit. Um, there's another this and the thing with Margaret Atwood, her plots are just so intricate and crazy. So, the person who mesmerizes or hypnotizes her and puts her under is actually a peddler, um, that she knew. Before from back before the murders and they had had a conversation that she narrates again so is it reliable or not saying yeah. he had tried to convince her to be a fake hypnotist because you can convince people of anything if you f- tell them that you're a fake hypnotist and you have to work in pairs so that someone can be the hypnotist right and someone so, can so are they doing that when yeah when during this like confession and or so is, i was yeah, like i can't tell yeah and it was so interesting because i you trust her and you trust her and you want to trust her and then i got to that point and i was like i really think she's playing them yeah i don't know because here's the other thing is that i feel like I've read Handsmaid's Tale in this one, and I feel like in her writing, Margaret Atwood, there's a little bit of like, it's a little bit mystical, right? Uh-huh. There's a little bit of a spiritual side to it. And so then I'm just like, it could be real. Yeah. Or it could be real. Like, even when like some of the people who are in the room, when she like goes into their personality, think it's like a demon or a spirit. Uh-huh. And it's just like, that could be real in this like universe, you know? Um, and I think that's something that a lot of times in books that are write really complex great women right mm-hmm. authors that write great women characters there often is like a more mystical spiritual side because because i think it comes from that like you know women who were like wise women and grew herbs and stuff and then got mm-hmm. burned as witches all the time for a, th- a thousand years you know like single women were like you know yeah. hunted down <laughs> uh, i think it kind of comes from that tradition you know that that like women's intuition you know like that feeling and so yeah you don't really know i think I mean, I'm gonna, so I'm going to ask you, like, what's your, if you, like, had to con- make a conclusion, like, what would your conclusion be? I think um, Mr. Kinnear, which is the man who died, her mm-hmm. her worker, um, and Nancy is the other woman who died, her, like, boss, but was also a the maid. housekeeper. And she was also mistress. mistress yeah. Mm-hmm. I think Mr. Kinnear raped her. Raped and Grace. she raped Grace. Yeah. And I think she helped facilitate his murder. Yes. So yeah. So there's a part in the book where she's like, "Did he like put his hand up my skirt? I don't know. Did he like?" I I I had this vision that I saw him next to me in the night, but then you're not really sure if she's dreaming it Mm -hmm. or not. And I think too um, that McDermott, who was her accomplice supposedly, um, was obsessed with her. I think it was pretty clear that he was infatuated with her in some way, shape, or form. Yeah. So I think he was part of the murders, but I think it was because Grace was raped. I think that he, the boss definitely did rape her because most of the time when women think maybe I was raped, they were raped, right? Uh-huh. That's always true. Um, and I think that that caused her to, like, split her personality to split. And then, or if it wasn't already, or at, like, it caused her to switch over. And then I think that the personality Mary like um ins- like instigated it but i think that McDermott that also like 
I don't know if she would have done it if he hadn't been there. Yeah. So I think that he was equally as guilty. Yeah, I think he definitely was guilty. And I don't think that she, I don't know if she did any of the actual killing. I don't know. Yeah. And well, and the interesting thing is the Nancy um, is pregnant with mm-hmm. um, Mr. Kinnear's baby. And Grace knows from the yeah. narrative, you know, she knows before yeah. Nancy dies. And so it's with the weird stuff from her previous friend Mary's abortion which was a baby from one of the sons of the household they lived in the whole thing just felt so twisted and so though do you think if she did have a psychotic break which she might have Mm -hmm. that doesn't negate her responsibility for the murders though I I don't know (laughs) I don't know like what in courts now I mean, you can plead insanity, right? But so there, I'm sure there have been more recent murder cases where this is the argument yeah. that is made by the defense, you know. But I don't know if it if it it's still you and your body, right? Yeah. Um, and certain, but maybe like the solution is like in this day and age is more like psychiatric care and 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 imprisonment in a psychiatric facility, not like a horrible yeah. 1850s prison, which is what she was in for a while. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and she yeah, and but even then she still went to an insane asylum in the 1850s, yeah. which is at least somewhat different than today, yes. you know, um, because I feel like that's what you would call like the criminally insane, you yeah. know, like that. Label. I don't know. Though. I don't know. Um, but part, but part of me is just it makes me this. Yeah, this book is really interesting because it's like in a criminal psychology, but it's not what you would expect because it's a woman. Yeah, and like it's yeah. Well, know. and too, like she started having her breaks. Before the murders, because she yeah. had one after her friend was killed. Yeah. She had another one in the scene where she thinks she's raped or yeah. right around that scene. Yeah. So she had reported two or three of them in her retail yeah. up by the part of the point. And so then I was like, what's happening during those times you don't remember? Yeah. And it made me really sad because I think you think a lot about like the stigma that mental illness carries. And then at that time, like in that time up until very recent history and still in some ways it was, there was such a, there, it's so horrible. Like yeah. it's just like people think that you're so worthless if you have a mental illness, you know, and that like it would have been very di- hopefully different for her if she'd been mm-hmm. born today. But then still today mental illness carries a, a big stigma yeah. and people can't get the help that they need. And we also don't know how to help people. It's yeah. still very gray. That science is still seems very gray. It's just, know? it was really, it was, yeah. I really liked this book because yeah. the more I thought about it, the more I got caught up in the tangles mm-hmm. and I was like, I don't know what I believe. Mm-hmm. I have no idea what I believe in this story. Yeah. Also, and usually I feel like in books when the it's an unreliable narrator, I'm usually just like, this is so stupid. I want, I just want to know what happened. But in this book, I liked it because uh-huh. it felt so real and true to life. Yeah. Yeah. And I liked that it had two viewpoints. So you were mm-hmm. popping back and forth between what she was saying and then what the doctor was seeing. And it kind of, and what the doctor was also telling his family in his letters. Like it was so. Yeah. And I usually also hate it because this book leaves it at the end. It leaves it up to the reader. What do you think really happened? And usually I also hate that because I but wanted I liked to know. It. But I liked it in this book because it was so well done. And it was, it was true that we'll just never know. Again, you know? We'll I'm never know. just such a Margaret Atwood fangirl. <laughs> yeah. Um, there is one quote that I marked that I, because I thought it was so funny because it is a Nathaniel Hawthorne reference and we've repeatedly talked about how I hate the Scarlet Letter. So I mean, I'm going to share that. Um, let's see. As Mr. Nathaniel Hawthorne has said, this thing is a humbug and if 
If it is not, so much for the worse for us, for the spirits who present themselves at table turnings and the like must be those who have failed to get into the eternal world and are still cluttering up ours like a kind of spiritual dust. It is unlikely that they wish as well, unless, and the less we have to say to them, the better. Um, and then he talks about, and then Simon says, Hawthorne? He's surprised to find a clergyman reading Hawthorne. The man has been accused of centralism, and especially after the Scarlet Letter, of a laxity in morals. Which is, that cracks me up, because that book is about someone with, quote-unquote, bad morals being punished yep, with horribly and suffering. And that it really makes me laugh that apparently when it came out, people were like, oh, because he's writing about adultery at all. Yeah. <laughs> it means he has lax morals. Well, and I thought it was interesting. Later on, there's a Nathaniel Hawthorne quote oh. at one of the chapter beginnings that's about, uh, hang on, I just had it. That's about um, obsession. Oh, yeah. There's a, a lot of the quotes are also like Emily Dickinson, which I really yeah. like because I feel like she was writing from a female a female vo- a female strong female voice in a time when there aren't weren't a lot of published female voices yeah so I'm, like really appropriate in this book one of my favorite quotes from this book i have two um was and it's grace is saying this um when you are in the middle of a story it isn't a story at all but only a confusion a dark roaring a blindness a wreckage of shattered glass and splintered wood like a house in a whirlwind or else a boat crushed by the icebergs or swept over by the rapids and all aboard powerless to stop it it's only afterwards that it becomes anything like a story at all when you are telling it to yourself or to someone else yeah i marked that one too i think that's so good yeah and it really reminds me i read this book um years ago called 10,000 I think it's called 10,000 miles in a thousand years or else a thousand miles in 10,000 years and it's by Donald Miller and Uh it's like a essay type book but it's basically about how in order to live a meaningful life we need to tell story big grand stories with our life you know and Uh and not just like and like okay so like I'm I'm chasing a girl I'm I'm climbing the mountain I'm like doing stuff you know um and how, like, if we think about what, what writers do to tell a good story and we try to live our life by those principles, it'll have the same effect as being a good story, uh-huh. you know? And, and, but it's true that, and, or that you, like, when you're in the middle of things, you don't really know what the story's going to be. And then it's people afterwards who have power who get to decide what the story was. Yeah. Or, like, it's so interesting. So I'm going to relate it back to teaching, too. Like, when things are happening in my classroom, of course, as a teacher, I come out with all these like crazy things kids said, mm-hmm. but it's just happening. Like, and then it's when you like, I get home and I'm like, that would actually be funny for people to hear that it gets <laughs> crafted into a story. Whereas yeah. in reality, it's just something that someone did. Yeah. Like who decides what makes a good story or not? Yeah. Um, I also really liked, um, there's a point where Simon is starting to believe grace is when he's first starting to believe her. And he, uh, is likening her kind of to a magician mm-hmm. because he believes her all of a sudden. But then he realizes a magician produces a coin from a hat. And because it's a real coin and a real hat. So because she's using real facts of mm-hmm. things that like basing everything off real facts, the audience believes that the illusion is too real. But this is this stone is only a stone. And for one thing, it has no dates on it. And then he goes on to say why maybe it's not true. Like, so he's like, start he's believing her but he's disbelieving her at the same time because he's like are you just pulling out the facts that make it seem convincing or is it really convincing how can you tell the stone from the hat like how can you 
Yeah, that's that's a pretty good summary of the book. Yeah. <laughs> um, can we go back to the rape first? The potential. Yes. Like, so the other thing is that I made me think was that big change of tone. <laughs> There's something else I wanted to say. So the other thing is that if like. If you get raped and then in self-defense you kill that person, is that a crime? Like, can you, is that a way to, like, if that happened now and someone was like, they were raping me and then I, of course, this, was, this wasn't in the moment. This was like, there isn't an intention to kill. She, she killed murder. him after. Yeah. And yeah. even if there had been a defense for that, is there a defense for killing Nancy? No, no, there's not. But like when a wife is like battered for years and years and then she kills her husband, like they you you can sometimes not go to prison for that because it's considered like that women have gotten off for that. I don't think back but this, then. But this, this doesn't. Yeah. Not, of course, of course, not back then. I'm just thinking about yeah. now because I think you have to have a damn good lawyer. And I think that it'd have to happen in the moment. Yeah. That you, and it couldn't be that like then I like premeditated plan to kill them. And yeah, you're right. It doesn't justify. The I mean, and it's interesting. Person. Like if he raped her. He probably deserved to not really be living anymore. I kind yeah. of like think that if you're raping people, you deserve big consequences. <laughs> I don't believe in the death penalty, so not necessarily death, but like I could see how she got there. Like, yeah. you know? Yeah. And so it's just, it's, it's so interesting. Yeah. Also, I just like this quote because I think it's really relevant to today's life and times. Um, uh, Where's it go? The difference between stupid and ignorant is that the ignorant can learn and the stupid choose not to. <laughs> I like that one too. <laughs> That's great. So, um, so I think that we should try to watch the Netflix show of this. Yes. Yeah. So maybe um, the, by that we should watch the first episode of it like before we record next, and we can talk about it. We can talk about how yeah. it looks in real life, and it'll be interesting because I haven't really looked at. Who was playing who in character stuff to see if their pictures match? Yeah. What's in my head? Yeah. I know. That's always an interesting thing. That's, yeah. I just, I want to read and hear and watch more stories like this um, mm-hmm. that, that have complex women characters and that, um, I don't know. just so well I want written. that. I want it so much. And they're like well written and complicated, but, but um, not so complicated that it's inaccessible. Yeah. Yeah. I, um. My uh, boyfriend is really big into Tarantino movies, mm-hmm. um, which are really intense for me. But one thing I like about them is that their plot is always complex, so you have no idea what's going on until mm-hmm. the end. And I just feel like this is like a novel version of like, I have no idea what's happening. I'm yeah. still not sure the movie's over. The book is over. I'm not sure where. Yeah. And I really like that. I like that kind of, I like when it's done well. Yeah. And I just, again, such a Margaret Atwood fangirl. Yes. Uh, any any other closing thoughts? Um, it's really nice to have chapters. <laughs> yeah, earlier when you were like, I, for me to like adult literature, it has to be, and I was just like, with chapters, right? That's what you're going to say. <laughs> I mean, I also really like books that have parts in them, and this one had parts and chapters, and so mm. it was on point. <laughs> yeah, and I liked how it varied the style of writing. Yeah, mm. yeah I really, I just, everything about and, it. I and liked. this is one of the, like, longer the longest book you've read has been 500 pages. So kind of the longer ones have all been yeah. like four, four fifty, five hundred, 500. And, but this one didn't feel long. No. It was not a struggle to get through. No, I, <laughs> I read like the first like 250 pages in the first two days. And then I was like, Oh, I should slow down so that I have read it sooner. Yeah. Like, so to it's when closer we're to when recording. we're going to record. Um, yeah. cause I was just like eating it up. Um, I think we've been pretty transparent about our opinion, but we can uh, yes. say yes. on our three count, does this book belong on your list? Okay. 
One, two, two three. three. Yes. <laughs> what a shock. Um, my... I. My argument, as stated before, is that um, this book, I think, belongs on the list because it is completely unique and um, and it has the best female characters that we've read so far on the list. Yeah, I think it also, it does a good job of drawing gray characters that you mm-hmm. still like. And I yes, think... Yes, that's a very good point. I think that it is timely, and I know it's only 20 years old, but I think it, it is a book that would be timely would stand the test of time. It would stand the yeah. test of time. Like it's it's well enough written that I think it has that ability to leap that gap, whereas some of our other books maybe didn't. Yeah. Um. And so it's not like the Midnight Examiner where you're gonna look back on it and, and be like, this right. is. And the themes that aren't don't feel relevant anymore. Yeah. These themes will always be relevant. Yeah. That's yeah. And especially because she's writing about the 1800s and the themes were relevant then, mm-hmm. and, and, they and they still would be relevant now. So very current. Um. Yes. I just. I love her, and I when we read Around the World in 80 Days, our, yeah, mm-hmm. I said I wasn't putting it on the list because I was holding out for the next book, but I guarantee we're going to read the next Margaret Atwood book, and I'm like, yes, let's put her all <laughs> on the list. You get Sometimes a, people are just great, you know? We'll do the Oprah. You get a spot yeah, on the list. You get, you a, get spot a spot on the list. On the list. <laughs> so um, we have spent a lot of time chatting about this. This has been um, our longest chat section, I think, because we just liked it so, so much. So much to say. Um, so what is our extra segment today? Um, I thought we could talk a little bit about book to movie adaptations that we loved or hated or are coming up. Um, yes. I, yeah. So I would say that my, I think the best book to movie adaptations that, that I have seen are like the Hunger Games movies because they stay on the plot from the books. They don't change major plot points. That's my biggest pet peeve. Yeah. Because even the Harry Potter movies... I don't love because they change major plot points and it was so unnecessary. Yeah. They made unnecessary changes uh, that didn't make the movies better, you know? And so I just feel like if you're going to make a, you should know your audience Uh and just give them what they want. Yes. I mean, in a Harry Potter miniseries, nobody would have been mad at it. Yeah, exactly. Um, Yeah. That's my biggest pet peeve in movies when they change a plot point. For no reason. Like, yes. sometimes I'm like, you cut something out. It was pretty irrelevant. You needed to do a movie in two hours. Like, mm-hmm. if you're, if it were, um, like, Harry Potter, I'm not mad that some Quidditch games got cut. Like, right, right. But I was mad that uh, important things from the books, I can't think of anything. Voldemort's now. death is completely different. At the oh, end. yeah, the face yeah. melding. Yeah. Um, like, things like that. I'm like, why did you change that? There yeah. was no reason. You know, another one like that is, um, what's that book by Jodi Picoult, the most famous one, My Sister's Keeper? Uh-huh. I never watched I never the movie. watched the movie because I heard in advance that they- Changed the that ending. The, the whole reason that book is good is because there's a huge, like, twist in it, and then they took the twist out of the movie. Yeah. Why? Why would you do that? Uh, it, just beyond. You know what, what um, movie adaptations, I don't really like them. But I don't really like the books either, except for A Walk to Remember. So now you know who I'm talking about. I love A Walk to Remember. I love the movie adaptation of A Walk to Remember, Nicholas Sparks. Mm -hmm. But his books are outrageous, and the movies are equally outrageous. Mm -hmm. And then I've looked, like, I've seen the movies just, like, on planes or things. Yeah. Because I've only read A Walk to Remember of his books, and I tried to read one other one. No, I've also read The Notebook, Notebook, which is, that one's a good adaptation. Um, but I tried to read one of his other books and I was just like, this is ridiculous. And I tried to read a second one. I was like, this is ridiculous. So I stopped trying to read them, but then I've watched some of the movie adaptations and things will happen and I'll be like, is that really in the book? 
And then yeah. I'll go read the Wikipedia for the book and no, for God's sake, it happened in the book. Like he just has a weird, he's went I, down a yeah. little like. I've only read his books after seeing the movies. Like I read the uh-huh. book and I think, I haven't read Walk the Wild, Walk to Remember. One, oh, I've read one, Dear John too. One, Shoot. One other one. And because I always <laughs> think, oh, the movie is like, it's chiclet and like the book will be, but then the book, they're just, I just don't think they're very well written. They're yeah. not well written. And it's just like, they're both, the books and the movies are fine. You know, but the notebook. I love the notebook. I don't know, but I don't know. But if you watch that now, would you love it the same as when it first came out? I don't know if it stands the test. For sentimental value, probably. Also, Walk to Remember Mandy Moore, and she dies of cancer. I do love that. I mean, that movie is great, but I, but yeah, I just feel like they're, yeah, predictable. I don't know. I also, um, uh, a book I or a movie I love more than the book, and this is going to be controversial, is I really love. I will never watch it again, but I really <laughs> love uh, the Fault in Our Stars movie. Oh, yes. Yeah. I only liked the book. I, well, we saw that movie together in theaters, which and is cried. the only time I've seen it, and we cried so much. And then we came out and we said, well, we'll never do that again, but we enjoyed it. And now I feel like I don't really remember it. I remember thinking the book was, like, good, not great, and I don't really remember how I felt about the movie. <laughs> I just remember that it made me sob hysterically. Yeah. Which I've previously stated I'm down for a good cry, but the book didn't make me cry. Mm. I don't remember if it made me cry or not. It's just, it's John Green, I love him, and I love what him and Hank Green do, um, and his people, and his, like, vlog brothers and all that. I really like them, but sometimes his books can err towards, like, pretension. Um, yeah, I think his books are just, they're a lot the same as each other, like... Um, I like how we're saying this, but I'm like, I'm really excited to read Turtles all the way Oh, down. yeah. I, I literally had that out of the library right now, and I waited for the 300 people to get it. So I'm excited. I to bought re- an so autographed always, copy of it. Like, yeah. <laughs> so I will always read his books because they are good. But there was one, like I read Looking for Alaska, and then I got mm-hmm. Abundance of Catherines really quickly afterwards. And I couldn't even read it because I'm like, these books are exactly the same. Yeah. <laughs> I've heard that Turtles All the Way Down is really different. And I actually, the reason I'm excited to read, we're kind of going on like, a tangent. It's okay. Today. Um, but the reason I'm really excited to read it is it's about his struggle with, I mean, it's about characters, but it's a person who suffers from anxiety and OCD. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm a real anxious person. Uh, so I'm kind of excited. Like, and I've heard it's a pretty good representation because it's an own voices because he actually has anxiety and OCD. Mm. And so I'm kind of excited to read it because I think it'll be really well done. Yeah. That sounds good. So we'll see. Yeah. Um, you know, um, what, book to movie adaptation i'm looking forward to is um ready player one yes. uh, which i'm excited for because it's steven spielberg and he does good like sci-fi uh-huh. movies um though i read an article today about someone who was like i'm so excited for this movie because that i hope it's way better than the book because they thought the book was just like all rough 80s references and no character development but i didn't feel that way at all when i read it i thought that it was a book was really solid and fun uh-huh. um and so they were, they were basically saying, I hope Steven Spielberg changes the plot. Oh. And I was just like, oh, that is a terrible thing to say. <laughs> well, if you think about Ready Player One, if you're turning it into a movie, those 80s references, the people who really liked them, it's really easy to include them, but they don't have to be talked about. They'll just be shown on the screen like uh-huh. they were in the book. They were talked about where they were placed. Oh, that's true. It was yeah. never really the dialogue wasn't a ton of 80s references. It was more that it was placement yeah, of 80s like reference. Um so maybe people who didn't like the book will like it because it'll just be part of the world. But I still think they're missing the point. Yeah. Um, one adaptation 
well, two adaptations. I still have not watched either of the Margaret Atwood adaptations. Oh, like the Handmaid's Tale. I haven't watched Handmaid's Tale or um, this one, and so I'm kind of now that I'm fangirling out. I really want to watch them, and both of those are supposedly amazingly well done, like hard to watch, well done. Yes, I did hear a really interesting thing about the Handmaid's Tale that in that book. It's known that like people of color have been like exiled and killed, uh-huh. <laughs> um, but in the book they in the move in the adaptation they did colorblind casting, which, which in general I'm all for that, and you know, but in the the people are saying that it takes out something because because obviously in a society that was that much about putting women down, they w- it would also be white supremacist every time in history. It's always been white supremacist, but so by making some of so it's like yeah it's nice because so many tv shows are all white people and it's good to see a show that's not but then also are we missing the point of the book <laughs> oh <laughs> yeah and so, so i was like i haven't watched it but i was just like i was just like oh yeah like because when has there existed a totalitarian regime that didn't put down anyone race, who wasn't a yeah. white man you know like, well or, or if they're um yeah, or like, I guess like the Khmer Rouge, like killed, yeah. like or the, like North know, Korean, like yeah, yeah, but just that, like if like yeah. hating women and hating, you know, like it goes together often, you know, in society. So that, it's really interesting. I wonder if I'll notice it in watching it, but like that would be like one instance where I maybe would be like your casting should have been specifically for the right. novel because it was a point in the novel. Oh, I'm really right. And they could I'm have built it up. Yeah. That. So yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know if in the book, it if when you watch it, it'll feel good or not. Like, Oh, I'm excited. All right. Should we draw our next book? Yes, we oh. should draw our next okay, book. Okay. I'm going to draw it. Oh, guess what our next book is? <laughs> Crime and Punishment. Russia. Whoa. Um, so, I hate Russian authors. So I've never, this is Dostoevsky, right? Fe- Fyodor Dostoevsky, is that his name? Know. I don't know. I think so. <laughs> I haven't read anything by him before. This book is really famous. It's on like every top 100 to be well read list ever. Uh, uh, so is Anna Karenina, and I don't like that one. <laughs> I think it'll be interesting to read these two books in a row because obviously Crime and Punishment must be about like, analyzing a criminal thought and then this book was you would kind of hope about that and this book is kind of about that but it, i bet they'll be really different from each other in their conclusions you know because they're 100 years 100 years apart i am um, really appreciate nicole's hopefulness yeah <laughs> I have, I, it's part of my personality i'm an enfj i put a positive spin on everything whereas i heard that and i was like <laughs> uh. Uh, but i can't say that i'm looking forward to this one i expected it to be pretty dense <laughs> we shall have to see i mean we didn't hate uh, For Whom the Bell Tolls as much as we thought we would. Right. And when we talked about it, we actually started to like it more. Yeah. Maybe it'll be <laughs> like that. Maybe maybe we'll have that same effect. That's true. All right. Going in with an open mind. Yes. <laughs> Growth mindset. Yes. <laughs> All right. So that's the end of this episode. Um, you can find us um, at 1001BooksPod on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. Um, we really are liking that we have likes and followers on our Instagram because I've been posting pictures with the quotes of our books. If you're interested in following us there, you'll see some quotes and our pictures of our beverages every time we record. (laughs) Yep. Yep. It's the best. Um, So I hope you have a fabulous next week and you join us again to talk about crime and punishment. Crime and punishment. Bye. Happy reading. (laughs) 